Good morning. I love uh, a, a drum line, and uh, I wish I could have, I, I need just music. I need that music on the way into work. Just like, you know, every day, just, the, you know, them going at it. My dad was the dean at the graduate school for a long time at a school called Grambling. And the uh, band was the best band in the country. And watching them play was unbelievable. And today, what I want to begin by saying is uh, welcome to those who are watching online. Would you put your hands together and welcome uh, these people? Hope, what a great name you have, Hope. We welcome you from Pitt State, uh, Brent from Virginia. Uh, we got friends in New York and Colorado and Georgia and Texas and Kansas and, and Egypt, to name a few. Welcome today to our Battle Creek Online family. Uh, we're so glad that you are joining us today. And let me start by saying to all of you today, welcome home. It means a lot of different things in, in, in the culture that we're in today, doesn't it? Especially right now. Some of you are home. You're at your home campus at Midtown. Uh, welcome Midtown today, uh, Broken Arrow, would you? Uh, downtown, South Tulsa, Owasso, Jinx. Uh, you, you are at your home campus today, and uh, for those of you who are, those of us who are from Broken Arrow, we're, we're in a temporary uh, home, uh, a new temporary home at the Union Performing Arts Center. Put your hands together for the Union and the people that are helping us uh, pull this off week in and, and week out. In fact, uh, an update for you today, uh, we did get a bit of a scope of work. It's still being developed. It's supposed to be finished today. Uh, the scope of work at our Broken Arrow campus. And, and here's the good news. I, I can't understand 99% of the report. I read it and have no idea what it means. Uh, which it, I would like to give them some Greek and, and just laugh when they, when they try to read it. But, but, but uh, the bottom line is this, that it's, it's come in way under what we were previously told the scope of work would be. And we believe God is working miracles and, and he will continue to work some miracles. Uh, but, but finally, let me just say this to wherever you are watching from, whatever campus you're watching from, maybe this is your very first time at, at Battle Creek. And I want to say to you, welcome home. Welcome home today. Back in January, when, when, when we started working on this series, uh, we, we wanted to give it the title Homecoming. Uh, and uh, because what we were believing and praying for in that day is that COVID would be gone, people would be coming home, it would be that moment. And, and uh, it, it's not exactly that moment, right? We've been throwing a few curveballs, and, and now we're a bit homesick and or maybe homeless, right? Uh, but, but, but speaking of homecoming and the homecoming theme, how many of you, when you were in high school, homecoming was a big stinking deal? Like some of you, it was like some people from the South, even in my own town, I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana. And, and but I went to this, this kind of Kasha kind of school, uh, private school, Catholic Jesuit, actually Jesuit, which is like Shiite Catholic, uh, school. And, and, uh, and it was prim and proper and, and, and kind of, we didn't do this, but at the public school, uh, where most of the people that I was in youth group with, went, they did this whole thing with these mums, right? Do you remember that? How many of you did the mum? thing and homecoming. Like, like it got way out of hand. In fact, uh, I went to all those homecomings with, with girls from my youth group at, at all of their high schools. And I went to the one where we did like beautiful little corsages on their hand or on their dress. And, and so we did both. But the first time I saw it, I remember thinking, what the heck is that? 
because it looked like some kind of an animal crawled out from under a shed somewhere and you put flowers on it and dangled ribbons from it and, and it was this massive thing. And, and we would get creative. Now, the, I mean, we would like, based on the girl, based on the relationship with the girl, based on the things she liked, you would go buy trinkets in toy stores and add them to the ribbons uh, that are hanging down from this mom. In fact, I, I got a picture I'll show. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. And, and, and so it, it turned into a whole episode of how creative could you be in adding all of your artwork and all of this to, to this particular flower. And, and uh, mom is kind of the, it's like the cockroach of the flower world anyways. It's right above carnation, which is what most churches give out at Mother's Day. I'm sorry, mamas. We, we would never give you a carnation in, in, in this church. But I think homecoming really is only about the dance, right? It's only for, it's, it's about this king and this queen and, but, 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 but the game, like the, the game itself is really an afterthought. And, and uh, that, that's the thing about homecoming is that you pick your opponent. And if you can win a game, you, you pick the opponent that you can beat. To, to be your opponent at the homecoming uh, game. And, and in the spirit of homecoming, what I want to talk about today is victory. Would you say victory? victory. Because again, the key to homecoming is picking an opponent you can beat. And, and let me just tell you about your heavenly father. He picked an opponent that you can beat. And, and there are opponents that we have, and, and hear me today, there are weapons formed against us. There are opponents, but no weapon formed against us will stand. No weapon formed against us has a chance of standing against the children of the almighty God. And, and so what I want to do for the next couple of weeks is talk about homecoming. And I want to zero in on some stories where Jesus himself came home. He, he had been away. There, he had been away. There are places in the gospel where he, he comes home. He leaves, he travels, he ministers, but then he comes back home. And, and we can learn a lot from those stories of the homecomings of Jesus Christ. And, and so today, let's start with this overarching idea of what does it take to win? Well, what does it take for you to overcome whatever situation you are in? What does it take for us to, to overcome the situation that we are in? And what, what does it take to find breakthrough? What does it take to find victory? What does it take to find freedom? And, and uh, this morning, I, I want to introduce you to my friend named Keege. You, you may not know her. You may not have any idea who she is, but you've heard her. Uh, but because she sits on the front row at the Broken Arrow campus. So even if you go to another campus, you've heard her. You, you, you've heard her in the stream. She's the yes pastor and amen pastor and, and, and section of our church. And I hate that she carries that role all by herself. Some of you people need to join in and get in on the pep rally with, with, with her. I, I think the preaching gets better when, when, when it's a two-way dialogue. And, and what you may not know about her is her past and her, and her story. A few months ago, we were at a retreat, and we were introducing uh, ourselves at, at, at the retreat, and, and when she introduced herself, I, I found out some things that uh, I, I didn't know. And, and there have been moments where I'd watched her demonstrative worship, where I had thought, I wonder what her story is. And, and I, I wonder what it is that Jesus has done in her heart and in her life. And, and, and that day, in the introduction, she, she shared that she had come out of prostitution, had come out of uh, being the marketing director of a major strip club in Miami, and, and all kinds of things that God had rescued her from. 
And she came out of some very unfortunate situations, and there was no way out until she met Christ. Until she met Christ. In fact, let let me let her tell you her story. Watch this clip, if you would. The situation that I was in before I met Christ was me living in Atlanta um, in an apartment where I rented a room from a man who I ended up being sort of sexually enslaved to. And I say sort of because I entered the slavery willingly, low key. Um, I was in an unfortunate situation that required a lot of money at the time for me to get out of, um, possibly gonna end me in prison. And so he saw that I kind of lived a wild lifestyle of really, you know, sleeping with men here and there for funds and finances. And when he saw that I was in a place to need more money, he said, hey, instead of you paying rent, why don't you pay me with X, Y, and Z? So I agreed, but when I wanted to get out of that, he did not want for me to, and that's when it trickled and spiraled into more of a sexual slavery because I was at his beck and call whenever he wanted it, whenever he said whatever, Um, and it got to a point to where I just really wanted to die. Like, if this is all my life is, if this is what I have to go through just to have a roof over my head, just to have regular sustenance, then I don't really think I want to be here anymore. And so that's when the point when I got to where I could say, hey, Lord, (laughs) I don't have finances. I don't have a house. Like, I literally have nothing. So whatever you provide at this point, because that's all I'm going to have. And that's when he stepped in and shifted everything. But at that place in that little closet in Atlanta, I prayed that first prayer is where I was. For me to overcome the situation before I met Christ, um, man, I really didn't overcome until I met him, honestly, until I finally decided, even though I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle together, I'm just gonna at least try. I'm gonna open my heart and say like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get out of where I am, but I'm gonna give you a try, and if you genuinely help me, then I'll keep following you. And um, lo and behold, here we are. He helped. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it really just took me deciding, like, hey, even though I don't know how to pray, even though I don't own a Bible, even though I don't have a church, I was listening to a church on SoundCloud at that time, even though I don't have all these pieces, which I now know are pieces that most people look for, but then I didn't know. It was just like a puzzle with no box. Um, Even though I didn't have any of those things, I knew that he was the only resort. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to give this a try. And praying prayers that probably sounded like a kindergartner. And uh, when I did finally get a Bible, just reading it day in and day out, not understanding everything in it, but of course, just saying, I know this is where it is, and I'm going to keep going back to it. Yeah. You, you may uh, not be coming out of prostitution, but you still feel those chains getting tighter and tighter. 
and trying to distance the truth of God's word from your heart and from your mind and, and, and from your life. But guess what? I believe that no matter what situation you are in, Jesus wants you to come home to victory. Amen. And Jesus wants you to come home to peace. And Jesus wants you to come home to power. And, and so if you got your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to jump into this first story this week. We'll begin in, in verse 5, Matthew chapter 8. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And, and Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Look at what it says. When Jesus returned to Capernaum. When he returned, now he, he was living in Capernaum at that time. Remember, he was born in Bethlehem. Okay, let me show you a map. He, he was born in Bethlehem, down close to Jerusalem, right? And, and he grew up in Nazareth. But when he started his ministry, he, he moved to Capernaum. And, and probably he moved into Peter's house. And he lived with Peter and, and, and Peter's mother or mother-in-law, right? What, a few weeks ago, we looked at the story where the roof came crashing in. Most scholars believe that was Peter's house where, where, where Jesus lived. It was his headquarters. There was a moment uh, where Jesus was at the house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. We know Peter did not ask for that one, right? But, but Jesus just kind of gave that one a, a, as a freebie. But, but he's coming home. That's the picture I want you to see in this story it, it, is that he's coming back home. But if he's coming back home, that begs the question, where's he been? Well, if you back up a few chapters in Matthew, he tells us in chapter four uh, where, where he's been. Let's look at it. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee. Now, the region of Galilee is around the Sea of Galilee, okay, and it, which is not that big. And, and so this region around the Sea of Galilee, teaching in synagogues, Jewish worship places, right, and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed, say healed every kind of disease and every kind of illness. Verse 24, news about him spread as far as Syria, which is way north of the map I just showed you. And people soon began bringing him all, say all, all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon possessed or epileptic, epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them, everybody say it, all. Oh, verse 25, large crowds. And let me just pause there for a second uh, because many people think large churches are all watered down. I, I, I want you to look at, when you look at the scripture, large crowds were always following Jesus. And, and he wasn't tickling their ears, by the way, either. He was saying, drink my blood and eat my flesh and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And, and, and so the gospel is offensive, but Jesus wasn't. I want you to let that sink in. The gospel was offensive, but Jesus himself wasn't. He, he, he was a pleasant person that all kinds of people wanted to be around on a regular basis. But large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the 10 towns, that's the 10 pagan Roman cities, right? Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from the east of the Jordan uh, River. Uh, again, map. These are these 10 cities around the Sea of Galilee that were all Roman uh, cities, right? And, and so they're coming from all over. So, so what is he doing? Well, the Bible tells us he's healing all kinds of diseases and all kinds of sickness. He's calling demons out of people. He's curing people who were tormented. He, he, he's even taking down epilepsy and paralysis, right? The, the, those who can't move and those who can't stop moving. He is dealing with it, right? And, and, and his ministry is all in Encompassing, but what he's really doing is announcing the kingdom of God. 
Now, earlier this year, we announced the theme for the whole year, not knowing what we were walking into this year, but, but, but the theme for the whole year would be on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what Jesus is doing in these texts is bringing heaven down to earth. In fact, he preaches the greatest sermon ever preached, known as the Sermon on the Mount, in between these two chapters, in between chapter 8 and chapter 4, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, and it ends with everyone saying, wow, this man speaks with authority, and his fame has spread, not just because he was working miracles. Listen, there were other miracle workers in that day. Lots of rabbis performed miracles in, in, in that day. But he was doing these miracles in authority and with authority. And, and one guy hears about it and he says, I've got a situation. And I think maybe Jesus can handle it. Back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. That, that word for Roman officer is the word centurion. Century means a hundred, right? Which means this guy is over at least a hundred families. That's what a centurion was. He was over a hundred families. And he's got a servant who is paralyzed. And, and, and he knows Jesus can heal him. And, and he has this conversation with Jesus, as, as we'll see. And Jesus says to him, okay, I'll come to your home and I will heal him. And, and the guy says, no, no, Jesus, you don't even have to come. Just say the word. Everybody say word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. But, but first, let's take a look at this and let's not overlook this or skip over this. Pay attention. Jesus comes home to Capernaum. And as he enters the town, he meets this guy. That's not a coincidence, okay? The, the, somebody was waiting on Jesus. Somebody was setting up camp waiting on Jesus. It wasn't a, oh, hey, Jesus, it's you. I, I got a question. It wasn't that. It, it, it was, hey, uh, it, it didn't just happen to be a run into Jesus moment. That he figured Jesus was away. He would be coming back. So he sets up a camp and he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits. And he is waiting in anticipation for Jesus to come home. There is a difference between waiting and anticipating. Jesus taught us how to pray. And he used a word when he taught us how to pray that means keep on praying. Amen. In other words, don't give up. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but I just want to prophesy a word of God to you today to say, don't give up. Yes, don't give up in your situation today. Walk with anticipation, waiting on Jesus. That's what it means, by the way, to pray without ceasing, is to anticipate without giving up. Now, now look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed in terrible pain. Jesus said, I, I, okay, I will come and heal him. Now, Luke, by the way, is another gospel writer. Luke tells this same story. And when you study stories in the gospels, you need to see which gospels tell the story and you need to study all the versions of the gospel so that you get the whole picture and, and the camera angle from multiple different angles. Luke is a physician. And so he's going to give us more detail in this story. And over in Luke chapter, I believe, 7, uh, the, the servant, the Bible says the servant is near death or sick to the point of death is what Luke tells us. The picture being painted there is that he is in such pain he wished he could just die. 
Now, we don't know what happened to him. The, the Gospels don't tell us that, but, but we do know he is in tremendous pain. We know that he is paralyzed, right? He cannot move, but, he, but he's in tremendous pain. And it's not like they can just take him, you know, down the street to the orthopedic surgeon. This, this man, this Roman officer who this servant is underneath says, oh, I know a man. I heard of a man. I've heard of Jesus. By, by the way, I meet people here almost every week. Who, who will introduce themselves and tell me who they are, and, and they'll tell me who invited them. And I'll say, I, I don't know them. Tell me about the people that invited you. They're like, oh, they don't go to church here. They, they, they go to another church, but they knew this church would help me. Wow. So they said, you need to go to Battle Creek. They said, don't come to my church. My, 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 my church will not be the place for you, but, but you can go to a hospital over there called Battle Creek, and they will help you. <laughs> And they will take care of you. And, and this, this, this centurion had heard about Jesus. And, and he's recommending Jesus to this servant. Luke also says that this servant is someone he loved. In fact, uh, the, the word there can mean son. It's not his son. But, but the point is, is that this, this is a son in the faith. This is somebody that I, I have a relationship with. This is somebody I really care about. He, he didn't come to Jesus, by the way. I want you to see this. He didn't come to Jesus for what he needed. He came to Jesus for what his friend needed. Now, you got to hear me today, church. When, when you bring someone to Christ, you are closer to Christ. You are closer to Christ because you are bringing somebody else to Christ. Th this man anticipated Jesus doing something for his friend. And he went out of his way to make sure that it happened. Look, I have enough faith in all of you that if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm looking for a church, you'd bring them to church. I have enough faith in all of you. If somebody came to you and said, hey, I, I, I'm interested in Jesus, you would, you would tell them uh, uh, about Jesus. You would share Jesus with them. But, but this man went out of his way to make sure that this happened. And here's a question I want to ask you, Battle Creek Church, over the next two weeks. What, what are you going to do in the next two weeks to go out of your way? To make sure that somebody comes with you. Yeah. To, to one of these Harvest Sundays we're going to have over the next couple of weeks. What, what are you going to do to go out of your way? So, so he comes to Jesus. And, and by the way, this wasn't one of his options. This wasn't just the next option in a series of options. Jesus was his only option. I heard a story a few weeks ago of a family who, who, who's the grandmother in the family was sick and she was in the hospital and the doctors came back and told the family, we've done all we know to do at this point. We just, we need to trust God. And when they told grandma, Hey, the doctors are saying what we need to do is trust God. The grandma was like, has it come to that? It's always that, Right? It, it, we're always in that moment where, where we need to trust God. Now, look at what he says here in this story. Look at it. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. And when I read that, I thought, whoa, 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 hold on here. What is going on here? Because this is not at all how I would have handled it had I been the centurion, right? I would have called Meredith and said, he said yes. He is coming over. What do you mean? Who's coming? Jesus. Jesus is coming over. No, no, no. I, I don't know. I don't care. Just, just move the dirty clothes. Put them in the laundry room, right? And, and, and clean the bedroom and, and put some steaks on, right? The good ones, not the cheap ones. Put the good ones on because Jesus is coming. But, but instead, this guy says to Jesus, Jesus, don't, don't come over. Now, it can't be because he has a, a, a messy house. He's got servants, right? He, he, he lives in the best house. And as you'll see in the story, it can't be that he's embarrassed of Jesus. 
That's not the picture. There has to be something else going on here, and I think it lies in the title of this guy. He is a Roman officer. He's part of the occupying force that is oppressing the people of Israel. This guy is a leader in the army of the, that is occupying the land, oppressing the people of Jesus. This guy is part of the problem. Which reminds me of Romans chapter 5, right? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and in verse 10, friendship with God was created while we were still his enemies. This guy knew there would be an issue in talking to Jesus. He knew it would create problems in, in, in coming to Jesus, but he did it anyways because he also knew Jesus has the power. And the big problem and the huge elephant in the room is he is a Gentile. He is not Jewish. And if a Jew walks into the home of a Gentile, the Jew becomes defiled. I've taught you Acts 10 before. You remember that story in Acts 10 where Peter uh, goes to see Cornelius in Caesarea by the sea? Remember that? He's at Joppa and he sends people for him and he walks up the sea to, to the place called uh, Caesarea by the sea and he walks into a Gentile's home and he defiles himself. Jesus is saying, I'm coming. And, and he, the guy says, no, no, it's not worth it. I'm not worth that. Don't defile yourself just for me. I, I want you to see and write this down that this guy knew his place. He knew his place. It was Jesus, by the way, who was offering to defile himself on, on behalf of this servant. Jesus wasn't interested in all of that. In, in order to heal this man that he didn't even know. What's the application there? Here's the application. Jesus will get down in the middle of your mess and take care of it. There is no mess dirty enough. There is no mess unclean enough that Jesus doesn't want to get right in the middle of it and, and fix it and clean it and take care of it for you. He's not waiting on you to clean yourself up. He knows you don't have a snowball's chance in hell of cleaning yourself up. Uh, again, Luke tells us more. Back in Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 4 and 5, he, he tells us that the Jewish elders in this moment come running up to Jesus. And they start begging Jesus to heal this Roman centurion's servant. That's crazy when you think through that, that the Jewish leaders are coming up to Jesus saying, please heal this man's servant. He's a good guy. He loves the Jews. He's even building us synagogues. Remember what we read a moment ago? Jesus was traveling around preaching in the synagogues. He had probably preached in the synagogue that this guy built for the Jewish people. And, and, and this guy says, slow down, Jesus. Slow, slow down that doesn't matter. I know I'm not worthy. That, that's the bad news. The, the good news is, is God's not looking for worthy people. He's not waiting on us to clean up our messes for him. In other words, there's nothing we can do to earn it. There, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. That, 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 that there's no amount of holiness on, on your part that will impress Jesus. You're not going to impress him with your holiness. There's no amount of love that you could show his people, no amount of activity that you could do in his kingdom. What is Jesus impressed by? Let, let, let's keep reading. Verse 8. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home, but just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Now look at what he says. I know this because I am under authority. Say authority. 
of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, say go, and they go. Or come, say come, and they come. Or or do, say do, Do. and, and they do. That's what faith is. Believing that Jesus has all of the authority. You remember back in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus declared about authority, I have all of it. On heaven and earth, all of it. Go, come, and do. What what if in those three areas alone, we would just obey Jesus? When he says go, when he says come, when he says do. If we would go and come and do, when he says go, come, and do, we would change the world. The, the whole world. And, and, and there was something more important to this man than what he could get out of Jesus. But it's who Jesus is. I don't want you to miss that because some of you came to Jesus based on somebody telling you what you could get out of Jesus. You don't come to Jesus based on what you get out of Jesus. You come to Jesus based on who Jesus is. This man recognized Jesus as someone with authority. This man saw in Jesus the same authority or similar authority that he had. He had authority over a hundred families and all kinds of servants, but Jesus has authority over the very atoms of the universe. And this guy knew it, right? That's what attracted him. To, uh, to the Lord. He believed that Jesus had spiritual agencies and, and uh, a, a hierarchy and a structure that would follow his command. Hallelujah. By the way, there's no evidence of Jesus having performed a miracle from a distance before this point. What does that mean? It means it required great faith for this man to say that. Little history lesson for you in this moment. Before 30 BC, uh, Rome was called the Roman Republic. But in 30 BC, if you remember your history, right, it became the Roman Empire under a guy named Caesar Augustus. And the Caesar had full authority. He had total authority. And what the Caesar would do at the top of the food chain is he would delegate delegate that authority to those under him, including the centurions. What does that mean? It means when a centurion speaks, he's speaking the words of the emperor. And when you obey the words of the centurion, you are obeying the words or disobeying the words of the emperor. And he's saying, Jesus, I I perceive that you operate in a similar system. This is a game-changing recognition. Jesus, you're not just under your father's authority. You wield your father's authority. Listen, this is so insightful. Think about this guy and what he gave up. He gave up the rabbi, the the healer, coming to his home. If if Jesus had come to his home, what what do you think would have happened? Crowds would have shown up. They they would have been just outside the door. He he would have had a lot of eyes on him. This would have gone viral in social media. And and, and people would have said, that Roman, he's not that bad. He's a good guy. There would have been a big party that would have happened all around him. And he gave all of that up for somebody else. He gave that up because he really wanted, what he really wanted was for his servant to be healed. Not only did he know his place, even more importantly, he, he knew Jesus' place. I don't need any of that, Jesus, because I know who you are. I know who you are, but I also know who I am, and I know I am not good enough, and I will never be good enough, but, but I know that you're not looking for good enough people. You're looking for people who will get under your authority. Amen. 
You're looking for people who will be dependent upon you, right? Keej had spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of energy depending on herself, depending on people around who were not dependable, right? And it failed over and over and over. But when she totally depended upon Jesus, she she found her answer. Watch this clip. I needed to depend on Jesus to rescue me because I had tried everything else, literally, from college to exciting entertainment career to drugs to Hennessy, that was my drink of choice, to whatever it was that was there in front of me that would provide me finances or fulfillment or meaning. I had tried it. And I realized when I got to the end of my rope that there was only one thing I hadn't tried yet. And that was Jesus. And so I tried him and it was really hard at first, but it was so much better than where I was, even though I wasn't still in a space out of that situation. When I came to Jesus, I still lived in that situation in Atlanta for at least another two or three months before uh, help, quote unquote, came in the form of a person sent by Jesus. But um, yeah, it was still better than it was. I didn't wake up like, oh, well, let me go and drink this or smoke this. I woke up like, you know what, I'm gonna pray. I may have still dropped a little bit, you know, in those moments because I did have to still go through it. But that wasn't where I felt like my help was coming from as I did before I let Christ in. Just like Keej, the, the, the centurion, came to a place where he put his dependence upon on, on Jesus. And because of his dependence being placed on Jesus, there are a lot of different dynamics at play all at the same time in, in, in this story. Now watch this. You have a Gentile coming to a Jew. You have an aristocrat coming to a carpenter. You have an officer of war coming to the prince of peace. And this guy, by the way, was not used to leaning on anyone for anything. This man knew his own place, but he also knew Jesus' place. And because of that, he was willing to go against the grind of the culture. I want you to write this down, that Jesus' authority equals our dependence. It equals our dependence. You see, his authority doesn't really matter to us until we are dependent upon it. His authority will not affect you until you let it into your life. Jesus taught as a man with authority in Matthew 6, 7, and 8 in the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of the book in Matthew 28, he declares that he has all authority on heaven and in earth. And sandwiched in between those two declarations of his authority are 10 miracles. Ten different miracles to demonstrate that Jesus has authority. He has authority over disease. He has authority over the demonic. He even has authority over nature. But that doesn't mean anything to you until you get under that authority and apply it to your life. When when you kneel to his authority, look what happens in, in your life. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. You should underline that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. 
Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believe, say believe. It has happened. And the servant was healed that same hour. That same hour. Jesus says, uh, verily, verily, or amen and amen. Uh, It's translated in English, I tell you the truth. Jesus says amen before he speaks. Amen means I agree. Amen means this is true. Amen means this is important. We say it at the end of a prayer. Jesus has enough authority to say it at the beginning of a prayer. Because what he's going to speak is going to come with authority. What he's going to speak is going to be important. What he's going to speak can set people free. There are plenty of times where people in the Bible were amazed by Jesus. But in my studies, I've only found two places where Jesus was amazed at somebody. Two places. This is one of them. The other one is found over in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, he goes to Nazareth, Nazareth, another homecoming. He goes to Nazareth and, and, and his home at the time, and, and he is amazed at their unbelief to the degree that he can't do any miracles there. D- did you know that you can amaze God by either how much you believe in him or how much you don't believe in him? Either way, how you're willing to submit to the authority of God or by how stubborn you're going to be to the authority of God. What created the scenario, by the way, for this Gentile to show great faith? A big problem. In other words, setbacks are not just setbacks. They can be great setups. A problem and a situation you can't handle. We have one in our church right now, right? When you are in a problem or a situation that you can't handle, this guy had one, right? He had a paralyzed servant, and there was nothing he could do about it. And the servant didn't have great health care and a full bank account and all kinds of respect. Listen, he was pushed into a corner to the point where he had to look to Jesus. Hear me today. God is setting you up if you have a situation that you can't handle. I I like to call it the advantage of the disadvantage. There is an advantage that comes with the disadvantage. Look look, look at verse 10. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of, say it, heaven. Heaven. I, I don't know if you catch the theology packed into this one verse, but there's a lot of it. But, everybody say but. but. Many church people many church people for whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's unbelievable when you look at this text and you look through this and you look at the theology in it. And as you let this play out in your life, there's a couple of conclusions that I would like to draw from this text right here and from these particular scriptures. But I want to show you a C.S. Lewis quote trying to deal with the notion 
that was a part of the culture in his day and he's even more a part of the culture in our day that you can just say Jesus was a good guy. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a teacher. I will give him those things. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis because what he's declaring is you cannot give him those things. Look, Look at what he says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with any of this paralyzing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, nor did he intend to. He can't be a good teacher. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. It's the only three choices you have. Matthew deals with this. Jesus deals with this in Matthew, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7, he says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. We prophesy in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But Jesus said, but I will reply, I I never knew you. Get get away from me, you you who broke God's laws. In other words, there will be some who worked for him, some who preached for him. They thought they knew Jesus, but Jesus didn't know them. Let me give you the conclusions to these last couple of verses. The first one is, many who think they will be there will not be there, according to this text. It's not just people who were surprised, had no idea that there even existed, that there are going to be people who thought that, that, that they, they would be in heaven will not be there. You, you can call him Lord, by the way, as a sign of respect. That word didn't just mean Messiah. It could be like, yes, sir, and our culture. And so the point is, is it was possible to call him Lord as a sign of respect without calling him Lord as a sign of authority. I I want you to hear me today. Jesus is not an app that you add to to your operating system. He is the operating system. Or he doesn't come at all. And if what you did is attach him as an app, he's not your Lord and Savior. In fact, you say, well, that's not kind to say to people today. It's the kindest thing I could say to you today. 
It's the kindest thing I could say to you today. Because some of you are living your life with no power. You're like, where's the power? You're not connected to the power. You, you, you have some knockoff version of Jesus. And there's no power in that version of Jesus. Why are all of a sudden people who have preached the word of God and taught the word of God for decades walking away from orthodoxy and walking away from doctrine and walking away from the truth of the scripture, left and right? In fact, the pressure to do that today is so great, it's greater than I, I even imagined it could ever be in my lifetime. They had an app. They didn't have Jesus as the operating system of their life. Why? Because when you make Jesus the operating system of your life, you become a repentant human being. It's a word we don't use in the church anymore. But repentant means I change my mind. When you give your life to Jesus, you come under the authority of Jesus. And you know what that means at that moment? This book now carries authority. Why? Because the author of this book is the authoritative figure in the world. And so like it or not, I come to the book and say, that's the authority. Why are all these people taking all these verses out today in the culture and going this way and saying, that's not what that means, that's not what, why? Because they don't have an operating system that makes them repentant human beings that says, when I come to the Word of God, it is the authority over my life. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. And when thus saith the Lord, like it or not, culturally relevant or not, I'm going to get under it. I don't know where you are today, but we've been praying that guests would cross a faith line today and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But, but I've been praying the last three days that church people who added an app onto their life at one point or another by praying a prayer or walking an aisle or getting in the water and being baptized would come to know the real true Jesus that has all authority on heaven and in earth. Would you bow your heads all across all of our campuses today? And could I just ask you this question? I don't want to embarrass anybody or, or point anybody out. I, 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 want, I want to offer you life today real life. And, and so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you would say, pastors, you talk about Matthew 7 and Jesus saying there, there, there's going to be people who think they will be there but are not going to be there. The, the, the second point, by the way, is that the only way to get there is faith in Jesus. It's the only way to get there. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, as you describe the words of Jesus and talk about that door that he has opened for us that we could come and know him, I know for sure that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I'm not asking you if you know for sure if you prayed a prayer. I'm not asking you if you know for sure if you were a part of a church. I'm not asking you if you know for sure that uh, you, you were baptized. I'm asking you, do you know that he is the Lord of your life? He is your forgiver. He is your savior. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Every heart open. If you would say that at every campus, I know that he is my Lord and my Savior and my forgiver. Would you raise your hand all across the campuses? Thank you. You can put it down. Glory to God in a day. When you ask that question and thousands of hands go up, it means that Jesus, a man who died 2,000 years ago, is still changing people's lives today because he's alive. And if he's alive, you can know him. And if he's alive, you can talk to him. And so if you're here today in person or you're watching online and you'd say, Pastor, I don't know that Jesus is my Lord. I don't know that he's called any shots in my life. I don't know if he's my savior or my forgiver. I, I don't know that if I died today, I would go to heaven, but I would like to know that. I would like to come and know Jesus. I would like to place my life under his authority and enter into this covenant where he gives me life, abundant life. If that's you at every campus, you say, I don't know, but pray for me. Would, would you raise your hand all across all of the rooms? Just raise it up, okay, okay. Anybody else, okay, okay, okay. Anybody else, just, just lift it up. At, at Midtown, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand at Midtown. At, at Downtown, raise your hand. In South Tulsa, would, would you lift up your hand? Jinx and Owasa, lift up your hand. Anybody else here in Broken Arrow? Pastor, pray for me. I, I don't know for sure that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Guys, can we bring the lights up in the house just a little bit so that I can see? If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I don't know. Okay, okay. Anybody else? In the back, in the front, I see a whole row right here in front of me. Anybody else? You say, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. Thank you. Church, you're praying. You're praying, you're praying, you're praying. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to help you cross that faith line <clears throat> and enter into that covenant what I'm not doing is giving you some sort of fire insurance. I, I'm, I'm helping you exchange where you put your faith and where you put your trust. That you're not going to put it in anything other than Jesus Christ and trusting him and his righteousness. So if that's the exchange you want to make today, that's the covenant you, you, you want to cut or enter into today, I, I want to lead you in a prayer that will help you do just that. But again, there's no power in the prayer. It's just words. You're not going to float off into the corner of the room and watch your body pray this prayer. That's not how this works. This is a decision of your will. You are deciding to give your life completely to Jesus Christ in, in this moment. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask those who already know Christ to pray along with you, to encourage you. But if you want to trust Jesus to be your Lord and Savior at every single campus, would you pray with me and say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short. 
But today I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord. You call all the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior and my forgiver in the best way that I know how. I repent. I change my mind. I turn my back on my sin and everything else for you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. If you just prayed that prayer before we say amen and you meant it with all of your heart, you just prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior at every single campus, would you just raise your hand and say, I prayed that prayer and I meant it, Pastor, with all of my heart. Thank you, sweetheart. Okay. Anybody else? I prayed that prayer and I meant it with all of my heart. I'm trusting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay, I see you right here. I see you right here. Anybody else? I'm trusting Jesus. Okay, right back here. I see you. Anybody else? At Midtown, at Downtown, at South Tulsa, Owasa, Jinx, even if you're watching online, just click on the, the feed and, and, and the button that says raise my hand or, or just put in there, hey, I prayed it in the chat and somebody will help you. Anybody else? I, I, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it with all of my heart. I'm trusting Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Anybody else? Now, look, if your hand just went up, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to wave your hand again, but I want you to look up at me or your campus pastor. You just raised your hand to say, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Just, just look at me right here, sweetheart. You meant it right here, right here next to her. You meant it. You meant it right here. You meant it right here. You meant it right back here on this corner in this back uh, green shirt. You meant it. Yes, sir. Wave your hand at me so that I can see you right here. Yes, sir. Anybody else? You meant it with all of your heart. Look up at me if you would. We're trusting Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. Is there anybody else? Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart before anybody else opens their eyes and looks up, I want you just to stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet right where you are. I want to talk to you alone. Just stand to your feet. That's right. Yes, sir. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Anybody else? I prayed it and I meant it with all of my heart. Now, here's what, here's what I want you to, to do. By the way, the rest of you, you don't need to look up, but you can begin celebrating. The Bible says that the angels in heaven are throwing a party right now. And, and, and so if you're standing, w w would you do this? Would you just say, excuse me, walk out to the aisle right here to this exit door. I've got two pastors standing right under that red exit door. Okay. Just say, excuse me. Just, just come out down the aisle. If you want somebody to come with you or somebody you brought you just say, come go with me. Okay. There's a room right outside that door. They just want to pray with you for two or three minutes and, and make sure you have a Bible. Hallelujah. Anybody else just make your way. If you need to go at this time, you didn't stand, uh, you, you want to go with them, go with them. Okay. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, then, then just stand and go with them over here to this exit door. Before we say amen, let me ask this question today. Is there anybody in here who has balked at the first step of obedience called baptism? You've trusted Jesus, but you haven't been willing to take that first step called baptism. And I would love to talk to you about that today and help you with that decision. If that's you, would you raise your hand? 
at every campus, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to be baptized. That's my next step of obedience. Is there anybody? Wave it high so that I can see it. These, these lights are really bright in my face. Okay, I see one right over here. Anybody else? Anybody else? I need to take that step of obedience. Now, could, w- would you do this? If, if you want to take that step and you want to talk to somebody today about it, would you just stand and, and, and come right over here? I, I think they've slipped through the door, but I need a staff member just to come and go and escort them or an usher to come. Just, just come and, and make your way right over here to these pastors. They want to talk to you about that. Thank you, sweetheart. Father, we pray in our church that you would bring real life and real power transformation that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ in Jesus name we pray and together we all say amen amen hey church I, I, I want you to see this a little bit when you fast forward in this story that we've been looking at today you see that this city that this story takes place in where Jesus made his home, Capernaum. In that place, Jesus did more miracles than he did in any other city. But in the end, it ends up being one of the three cities that Jesus cursed. Do you remember that? Woe to you, Bethsaida. Capernaum. And what he says over his hometown, his city, he said, if the miracles that had been performed here had been performed in Sodom, like Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented and they would have believed. There is a big overarching warning in that for Battle Creek Church. We've seen way more than our fair share of miracles. And to whom much is given, much is required. In the green room today, we were praying. And Keej was praying. Not like a kindergartner at all. And she prayed, God... For every one of us who call Battle Creek Church home, who made no effort to invest in somebody's life these last few weeks, be convicted to run out of this place and go plant seed and invest in people to the rock, to the point that we earn the right to bring them to a place where they could come to know Jesus. Christ. We heard some bits and pieces of, of, of Keej's story, but Keej is here today live. Keej, come up here. Come up here. <laughs> Keej, is there anything, is there anything you want to add to what we recorded a few weeks ago today live? Yeah. Um, of course, there are two types of people in here. There are people that belong to Battle Creek's home. And, and to the people that do, I, I was reminded of the story of what Jesus uh, said or the parable of the fig tree where he came by 
the fig tree had no fruit. Mm. He said, if I come back this time next year and there's no more fruit, we cutting this tree down. If I come mm. back and it's, it's fruit, we're going to keep this tree and we're going to grow more. And Amen. I just pray that every person that calls Battle Creek home would not be like that fig tree yeah. that's about to get cut down. That we would heed the words of Pastor Alex and become the tree that would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I ain't brought nobody to church in 365 days or nobody to Christ in 300 and however many days. And we would say, I'm not going to be like this next time, next mm. year when Jesus comes by. Amen. And to anyone that is here but is like, okay, I didn't raise my hand. I don't really know if I'm really ready for Christ just yet. I would just encourage you to think about wherever you are in your situation and in your life and to not take this moment robbery. Because like you heard in the video, it was that one moment in that closet in Atlanta. And I, I make it so simple, just like Paul says, because that's exactly how simple it was. It was one moment in a closet in Atlanta. And I would just encourage you that if you have that one moment, which is right now, to just take it seriously. Because I'm here today, and that sounds like it was a long time ago, because y'all see me shouting and praising, you know, not praying yeah. like a kindergartner. But that was in 2017. Wow. Like, that was only three years ago. And God has wow. restored hallelujah. everything. Everything. I'm married. Hallelujah. I have a house. I'm not homeless. God just did it all. And it was because I gave him authority over my life to say, hey, I'm going to leave. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to move to Tulsa. Child stayed in my car. It was a lot. But mm -hmm. I'm just so grateful that God did that for me. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, that he would do it for you. Amen. So, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Keish. You know what I love, and I say to our staff all the time, is I got friends in churches all over who walk in tremendous faith <laughs> because they never get to see with their fleshly eyes what we get to see every single week. If this is the only church you belong to or the only church you belong to for a long time, you can take that for granted. May we continue to be fertile soil where the Holy Spirit feels welcome and will partner with the bride to plant in that soil. John says in the Revelation, the spirit and the bride say come. The spirit's always saying come, right? It's the will of God that none would perish. But it's when the bride joins in with the spirit and says come to the people who need to come that the miracles begin to happen right and left. Every week, I have a, a, a thing in my office, which I haven't been in in a month. But in my office, I have this thing framed right above my computer monitor. And it says, what do you want them to know and why? What do you want them to do and why? And how do you want them to feel and why? C can I just spell that out for you? By the way, if I can't answer those three questions, I ain't ready to preach. Today, I want you to know that you can be saved. You can be saved. I want you to know that you can stand in proxy for somebody else. With your faith, 
And I pray you will over the next few weeks. And by the way, we do Harvest Sundays a few times a year. This year, then August, we're doing three. Not because those are the only Sundays that you want to participate. It's to get you back in the habit of bringing people into the other 52 Sundays a a, a year where where people can come to know Jesus Christ, right? We're not declaring over a day this is a Sunday where people can be saved. Jesus declares what Sunday people can be saved. And that's every Sunday. You can be saved. You can stand in proxy for somebody else with your faith. You can invest and invite and bring people to a place where they can come to know Jesus Christ. And number three, you can take Jesus at his word. At his word. Let's stand together. Let's worship.